Thank you, thank you, Pastor Paul. You're welcome. righty. Yeah, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, Pastor Paul said we've been coming here, my family and I, for, gosh, about a year and a half now, I think. Uh, we've been coming to BVCC. And man, I just, uh, just want to encourage you guys. I really appreciate you guys as a church body, and we've really enjoyed worshiping with you guys and fellowshipping with you guys uh, on Sunday mornings. It's been an awesome privilege. Um, so a few months ago, uh, Pastor Paul and Pastor Matt asked me if I would be interested in sharing for Sunday morning uh, for the One Another Sermon Series. And I used to work at a church, so I said, yeah, that's cool. I can do that. Um, so Paul sent me the list of one another verses in the Bible, which, by the way, there's a lot of those, actually. There was quite a few. Um, and so I looked through all of them, and the one that I chose was 1 John 4, 7, and I actually added 8 to this one. So, And this is what it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So it's a pretty straightforward verse. And when I was looking at this, full disclosure, when I was looking this one over, I thought to myself, man, this is going to be a layup. This is easy. All I do is get up. I talk about love. It's pretty central to the Christian faith. Uh, you know, talk about Jesus, how he was love fulfilled and the command that we've been given to love. And then we all go home. We get to go out to eat early, right? I get to go watch Cardinals play some baseball and I'm all good, right? So I figured this would be easy. The more I thought about it, though, um, the more I was challenged with this. Any discussion on love in today's world is almost certain to divide us. Um, you guys don't need to know this. You watch the news. Uh, you're on social media. We live in an extremely divided and divisive world. Um, and I think one of the reasons we live in a world like that is because there's really no common set standard for a lot of these really important things in the world. Uh, take truth, for example. Uh, truth is one of those things that we have what? We have fake news, alternative facts. You know, uh, We're supposed to trust science. Or no, 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 you can't trust science. You can't trust scientists. All these different things. So truth itself is kind of debated, and we don't have a set standard for, it, for what it is. Uh, goodness would be another one of those things. We don't really have a set standard for what is good. I mean, heck, we actually don't even really probably have a set standard and something we can all agree upon uh, for what is bad or what is evil. And love is definitely uh, one of those things. I think it fits in that category. Uh, love is probably the most used, but I would also argue the most abused and misunderstood term in the English language today. Um, I read recently that most uh, political campaigns, uh, political advisors, are actually marketing majors. In years past, most of the guys that would be doing this stuff are actually political science majors. But they're now marketing majors. And as I was reading this article, they said this. They said um, their marketing strategy is actually really simple for the most part. They try to find a few words or phrases that really kind of catch your attention and really kind of create some kind of emotion or passion in you. And they actually don't spend much time providing the content for those things. Why do you think they do that? Because they know that we are a subjective people. We're very individualistic, and we know what we want them to mean. So they actually don't take a lot of time to define these things because they know this. We're going to supply our own content for what they want them to be. 
Man, I challenge you guys, go back and look through some of these things. Go back and look through, look through uh, previous political campaigns and you'll see this is pretty well true. They don't take a lot of time to actually walk through what they mean, knowing that we'll do that for them. We live in that kind of culture and love is very much that. Uh, years ago, uh, Francis Schaeffer, Probably most of you guys or a lot of you guys have heard of Francis Schaeffer or read some of his works. He was a very uh, influential Christian apologist uh, back in the in 20th century. I think he died around 1984, somewhere around there. But before he died, they were asking him, they said, Dr. Schaeffer, what is something that really concerns you about Christianity as it moves into the 21st century? And his reply was actually really interesting. This is what he said. He said, that's easy. The thing that concerns me most about the church as it moves forward is Jesus. And everybody stopped and they were like, man, you're going to have to unpack that for us. What does that mean? And this is what he said. He said, my concern is a Jesus that is robbed of any content that Scripture gives him. And it's just the name or this idea or this concept, and people will infuse it with what they want it to be, and they will use it for their own ends. And man, we've seen that over and over and over again. And I think love is struggling with the same thing in today's world, right? So as I've thought about it, um, and we're going to be going on this morning for the next 20, 25 minutes, I wanted to kind of, uh, kind of frame this discussion with three specific questions. And here's what they are. How do we understand and define love? We're not going to do a really good job of following John's command to love one another unless we really understand what God means by love, right? Second, how do we demonstrate love? For most of you guys, you're probably thinking, that's easy. Like, how do we demonstrate love? How do we show love as a Christian community? It's easy in theory, but in practice, it gets a little bit harder. And here's one of the things I always challenge people with. Our love and how we demonstrate love has got to look different than the way the world understands and demonstrates love. Jesus said this. He said, they will know you, my followers, my disciples. They will know you by your love, the love that you have for each other. Intrinsic in that statement to me is that our love has to look different than the way the world defines love, than how it looks to them. So how do we demonstrate? How do we show and reveal love? And the last one, why is love the central and key command that Jesus gives us? Why is it that thing that he leaves us with? What is so important about it and what does it accomplish? So with that in mind, let's turn to the first question. How do we understand and define love? Um, as I thought about it, I think there's kind of three primary ways um, or pr three primary areas from which we source and define our understanding of love. Um, there's probably more than that, but I think there's three that are really big at play in the world right now. The first one is the self, our own individual selves. Uh, and when I say that, this is what I mean. I think um, feelings, emotions, experiences, our own internal things are a pretty strong way in which we understand and kind of define what love is or isn't, right? Um, and I don't want to bash feelings and emotions, by the way. We were created by God to have feelings and emotions, and they are powerful and positive and good things. But I think all of us, if we're honest, uh, could give times in lives, in our lives, where our loves or where our feelings, our emotions, our experiences we have have led us astray and have kind of defined love in a wrong way for us. 
Man, I know in my own life, I can point to it again and again and again of times when that happened. Um, And the problem with this is that disordered loves, right? Our own kind of subjective idea of what it is, leads to disordered lives. Uh, I was reading through a passage of scripture last week, and it was Genesis chapter 29. It's one of the famous stories in the Old Testament of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, right? And you guys know the story, or most of you do. Um, Jacob loves Rachel. Leah gets, Laban tricks um, Jacob into being with Leah, gives her to him, this kind of a horrible situation that goes on. Um, And in that text, in Genesis chapter 29, it says this, and God saw that Leah was unloved. Jacob loved Rachel more. But what's interesting is at the end of Genesis 29, it says this. It says, so God opened Leah's womb and she was able to have children. Now, what's interesting is this. It says that she had her first son and her first son was Reuben. Reuben means seen. And it says this, Leah goes, God has seen that I am unloved, so he has given me a son. Now my husband will love me. And he still didn't love her. Then what happens? She has a second son. She has Simeon. It says, God has heard that I am unloved. Simeon means heard. God has now heard that I am loved. Now my husband will love me. And he still doesn't love her. Then, then she has a third son. And if you're keeping track, this is Leah 3, Rachel 0, right? It says, and, and she named him Levi. And it says, now, now my husband will become attached to me. And Jacob still doesn't love her. But the beautiful thing is what happens in the last verse of that chapter. It says, then she had a son and she named him Judah. Judah means praise. And she said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. There's no mention of Jacob. There's no mention of Laban. There's no mention of anything else. She has finally reordered her loves in a proper way. And what does God do through that? The Messiah comes through Leah. The Messiah comes through Judah. And Leah's act of praise opens up a way for God to move in a powerful way. Man, she finally reordered her loves in a proper way. So she wasn't looking to her own individual understanding or her own experiences. Um, Now, there's another way that I think that we uh, can define love or kind of understand love, and that's from the culture around us. And if I had to say that there's, if I had to pick a biggest one, that's probably it. Um, We live in a social media age, in a social media world. And if you think that your kids Uh, education. Man, if you think our education uh, stops in a classroom or from the news, you're sadly mistaken. A lot of education, uh, not happening in the pews here or the seats here, but it's happening behind computer screens and tablet screens. And they're defining key things, truth, love, goodness for all of us and what it looks like. Now, here's what I think love looks like to the culture at large. I think love to the culture at large actually looks, um, it's very uniquely tied to the fulfillment of your dreams and your desires, right? And it's your personal happiness. So what is love? Love is whatever gives me what I want. The thing that I, the dreams that I have, the hopes that I have, the desires that I have, and it ends in my happiness. And anything that robs me of that is not loving, right? So that's kind of a cultural understanding of love. 
So those are two ways that people kind of define love, self um, and culture. Now, what does the Bible say? Or what is, what is the, uh, the one that we as the church would say? It's God. The primary way that we define love is that God has revealed it. And God has revealed it in two ways. He's revealed it, revealed it through scriptures and through his son. Now, scripture is a very powerful way for us to understand um, that God is not only the one who created the world, he's also the one who defines the world. The very first pages of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, we run across this word order. Six times in Genesis chapter 1, you see this. God saw that it was good, right? Seven times, if you actually go to the very end of the chapter, it says God saw that it was very good. And what we're led to believe from that is it is God who not only creates, but it's God who defines what good is, right? If you skip ahead two chapters to Genesis chapter 3, you find something very interesting. Genesis 3, 6, same word order. And by the way, this is what an ancient writer is going to do to try to get a concept to, st to stand out to us in a text. He's going to repeat it as much as he possibly can. I mean, we italicize things. We, uh, you know, all caps, we bold them. They didn't have those options. So they repeat, and that's the way they get something to stand out to us. So if you go ahead to Genesis 3, 6, same word order, but it's slightly different. What does it say? And Eve saw that the tree was good. The origin of man's sin was in defining, it is in defining reality outside of what God has already said. That's what sin is. And I guarantee you, each and every time that we do sin in our own lives, we do that. No, God, I'll tell you what love is. I'll tell you what goodness is. I'll tell you what truth is. That's what we do. So scripture is key for us to understand what God is saying and how we're supposed to live and walk in the truth that he reveals. So that's the one way, through scripture. The other way is through his son, Jesus. The definition of love. Um, go to the next slide. This is 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we know what love is according to scripture? How does God define love for us? It's not in feelings. It's not in emotions. It's not in this far off concept or idea. It's in what? It's a person. What is love? Love is what Jesus has done for us. What is this telling us that Jesus has done for us? Surrender, service, and sacrifice. How do we understand love as Christians? This is what it is. We look to him as the example. He laid his, down his life, and what are we supposed to do? Serve, surrender, and sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. And that's how we express and show love. This is how God defines love for us, in the person of Jesus himself. Amen? Um, moving on to the second question. How do we demonstrate and show love? Um, as I was thinking about this, I was reading through uh, the church's values. Now, I don't know, most of you guys, or many of you guys might be like me. Um, I read through, when I read through like a church's mission statement or something, I just make sure they hit the majors. You know, like, um, God, he's cool, he created everything, Jesus died, rose again. You know, hit the majors, don't worry about all the other stuff. Um, I'd like to challenge you guys with this, though. Like, when you read through and you see the choose to contribute, commit to uh, community, 
you know, uh, connect to God. Those are not just Matt and Paul and Drew and these guys sitting around together going, hey, it's three C's. Sounds good to me. Let's like, throw it in there. They, they actually have thought these things. And maybe you guys did do that. I don't know. I would argue or think that you guys actually thought these things through. And as I really wrestled with how we demonstrate love, this is kind of what I thought. Um, this, the church really did a great job of kind of using that as a framework for how we demonstrate and express love. So the first one, choose to contribute. Man, how do we contribute in the world today? Two things. This morning when we were actually praying before uh, the service, Pastor Paul kept on saying this in his prayer, and I so appreciate it. God, would you use the gifts and the abilities that you have given to each and every one of us here? Not just us here leading, me talking, Drew leading worship, him preaching, or him, him uh, leading, whatever it is, but would you use these gifts and talents of everyone to further your kingdom and grow us in a knowledge of who you are? Man, I don't think we see often. We know that each and every one of us in these pews has a gift, has a talent that God has given us, and we have a call on our life. We know that, but I don't think we often see the expression of those gifts and talents as a demonstration of love. When Pastor Paul comes up here to preach, that's an act of love. And he's demonstrating love to you as the congregation. When Drew leads worship, that's an act of love. Whoever's setting up coffee and cake and whatever in the back, that's an act of love. Because you are using the gifts you've given, been given and you are uh, following and obeying the call of God on your life. And I'm going to argue that wherever you are using those gifts and following the call of God, love is being demonstrated. I just think it's natural. It's what happens. And it's the way God intended for things to work. Now, another way that we contribute is financially and materially. First um, John 3.17, John says this, If anyone has this world's goods and he sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? There's three things um, that are evident in this passage. And in good, good preaching fashion, my homiletics course in seminary, I'm giving you the three R's here, right? First is resources. If you have the ability, right? You have the world's goods. You have the resources to do this. The second thing is recognition. You see that there is a need that needs to be met. What is your last R? It's the response. You, you, communicate, you give. You do something to meet that need. These are the three R's of this. Now, one of the things that really has impacted me with the church here uh, is I've seen, man, you guys are a giving church. You really are. A few weeks ago, um, what was it, $9,000 from the Kingdom Initiative that was given to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. That is a serious and powerful demonstration of the love of God. For, for women, for men, remember you guys were talking um, about how there's guys, uh, boyfriends, husbands that are scared, doing counseling for them, caring for women, physical needs, material needs, counseling, all of these different things. Man, what a powerful expression of God's love in a material way and in a financial way. So that's an awesome way, choosing to contribute. Now, the other one, um, committing or committing yourself to community. We were created by community 
Father, Son, and Spirit for community. God did not, he did not create out of necessity. The beginning of creation was not the beginning of love. Creation was the result of love. God wanted to draw us in and bring us into the relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he had known from the beginning, before all things, that loving relationship. Because we live in such an individualistic culture, I think so many times we kind of focus and we read scripture with the eye on ourselves. What is God saying to me? And we see sometimes community as an add-on when it's actually central to what God is about. Uh, years ago, I heard this. I heard a pastor teaching on um, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, one of the, probably the most known passage in the Bible when it comes to spiritual warfare. And I remember he was talking about all the armor, and he said this. He said, you'll notice there is actually nothing that's guarding the back of these people. This, all the armor is front-facing. And this is why he said this. He said, it's because Christians are never supposed to retreat. We're always advancing and moving on. I've lived 46 years on this earth. Most of them as a Christian. And I'm going to tell you guys this. I have retreated many times in life. And sometimes for darn good reasons. But he's right about this. He's right that there is actually no armor that's, back, that's, that's guarding the back. Right? The reason why, though, is if you actually go through culturally and contextually what Paul is doing, he's talking to the Ephesians. What is the only understanding of a soldier that an Ephesian would have? It's a Roman, right? One of the greatest advancements, uh, military advancements of the time, is the Roman phalanx, right? If you guys, how many of you guys have watched Gladiator? Man, oh gosh. For me, movies are like, they just happened yesterday. And then I say things like that and like, no, we haven't watched that. Watch Gladiator. That's your homework for this week. Gladiator. They show the Roman phalanx. It's, you would stand shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, spear to spear with each other, right? You were in a box. You would advance together. You would retreat together. And when you were taking fire, when they're shooting arrows, they all do like the, and they all put their shield up. It's really cool. You got to watch it. What does that tell us when it comes to spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is never supposed to be fought alone. Never on our own. Man, I challenge you guys, do a Google search on spiritual warfare. You know what you're going to see in the images? Do a Google image search. You'll see one dude with a shield and he'll be sitting there and there'll be like a dragon like over him, breathing fire. And he's like this. I think the apostle Paul sees that picture and he's like, what's he doing? Like he's going to get slaughtered, right? Community is central, man, to pray for each other, to engage with each other, man, to encourage each other, to challenge each other. One of the most profound minds in the Christian faith to me is a guy named N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, Bishop of Durham, or um, was former Bishop of Durham in the Anglican Church. And I remember this story that was told of him. He was at a conference one time, and he stood up and he said this, he said, two-thirds of what I believe as a Christian is correct without any fault whatsoever. And then he leaned in real close to the mic and he said this, the problem is I don't know what two-thirds it is. <laughs> and he said, and that's why I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need people to pray with me. I need people to challenge me. I need people to uplift me, right? So committing to community, 
committing to fellowship with each other is a powerful way that we demonstrate the love of God. All right, last one. Connect to God. Some of you guys would probably think to yourself, why is my own individual quiet time and connecting with God so important a way to demonstrate love? And here's what I say to that. Uh, Some of you guys might find it easy in today's world to love people. I have an easy time loving my family. Uh, I have an easy time loving people I like and people that agree with me. I don't have an easy time outside of that. If you really want to, you talk to my wife about this, and if there was like video cameras in my home when I'm like reading through social media posts, you would see just how unloving I can be over certain things. What does John 15 say? Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If we are going to love the way Jesus wants us to love, what do we have to do? We have to receive our life and our love from him. Man, connecting to God, cultivating that relationship with Jesus is central for us to understand love and be able to express love to the world around us. It's a necessity, right? So that's um, also another thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is a powerful quote. Uh, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. So connecting with God is important for us to be able to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, many times in my life, I felt down and I felt discouraged. And it's only through hanging out uh, with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ when they challenge me or they encourage me or they pray for me that I feel uplifted. Man, in the Christ that they portray to me is stronger than the Christ in my own heart at the time. Man, faith is weak sometimes. And our relationship with God, man, sometimes we hit those lulls in life. And that's why we need people around us. And we can only give when we've connected to God. Right? All right, last one. Um, Last question. Why is love the central and key command that Jesus has left us with? that John has left us with. And here's what I say to that, two things. The end of 1 Corinthians 13 says this, now remains, now abides faith, hope, and love. But then Paul says this, ah, but the greatest of those, that's easy. That's love. The entire New Testament um, has this idea of the kingdom of God. It's kind of like what lays behind all of the New Testament. The kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, as Paul talks about it, as Jesus talks about it, is something interesting. It's something here in power right now, but it's not yet here in its fullest. It's here. It's the kingdom here and yet and present, but not yet here in its fullest. So when Paul says this, I think he's actually kind of, he's pointing ahead to that eschatology, those last things is what he's kind of talking about. And I think his argument is probably this. One day our faith, what we have trusted in, we will one day see face to face. One day our hope, what we have longed for, what we have desired, will one day be fulfilled. But what will go on forever? Love. Love will go on forever. And the being that is love itself, we will be in relationship with for the rest of eternity. So when we love the way Christ commands us to love, the love that he provides, what are we doing? We're bringing the future reality 
of the kingdom of God, where? Here and now. Man, this is why I love that the church is talking about kingdom initiatives, because that's what love is supposed to do. It's supposed to usher in the kingdom of God and show a real tangible presence of the kingdom here and now. The other thing I think, uh, the reason why I think love is such a powerful command and the key command that God has given us, I'll tell you guys in a story. Um, so my dad was my hero. My dad, uh, if you ever get to know me, my life, uh, you'll hear me talk about my dad repeatedly. Uh, he was my hero. He was my mentor. He was the strongest man of God I've ever seen. Um, he was a legend. Like, he was just everything to me, right? He died January 8th, 2017. Um, I was here in Denver, and my mom called and said he wasn't doing well, so I had to fly back. I got there Wednesday night. Thursday night, I was able to go to the hospital room and see him, and he was awake. He was with it enough, uh, and we were able to talk to him, and he was able to tell me he loved me. Um, and man, I will always be eternally grateful to God for what he did there, uh, being able to talk with him. The next day, I went to visit him in the hospital, and he was kind of coming and going. He wasn't quite, you know, as good as he was the day before, but still pretty decent. Um, that was Friday. Saturday is when I knew things weren't very good. Um, he wasn't very lucid most of the time, and when he did talk, it was crazy. I grew up on a dairy farm. He was a dairy farmer uh, his whole life. And so we'd be sitting there in the room with him, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, Jeremy, do you know what time it is? I'd say, no, Pop, what time is it? And he'd say, it's time to milk the cows. And I'd say, no, no, Dad, we don't, we don't have to milk cows. Um, another time he said, Jeremy, hurry, the tractor's rolling down the hill. <laughs> I was like, Pop, the, yeah, the tractor is not rolling down the hill. Um, but here's what happened. When I was getting ready to leave the room, he calls me over and he said this. He said, Jeremy, you know what time it is? And by that time, I'm ready for anything, you know. Um, and I got close to his bed and I said, no, Pop, what time is it? And he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, it's time to taste and see that the Lord is good. Last words a man ever said to me on this earth. When I walked out of that room, this is my thought. It's easy for me to taste and see that God is good because of you, dad. Because of the love that my dad poured into my life, I had a very real and tangible understanding of who Jesus was and who the father was. Why is love a central and key command that God gives us? because you might be the only Jesus people ever see. And the way you love reveals Jesus, and it establishes him and who he is in their lives. So that's my challenge for you guys. My challenge for you guys is this. It's simple. Man, cultivate that relationship you have with God. God wants to work in you and through you so that you look and love and live like Jesus. He wants to do that. All we have to do is come to him in humility and say, God, I can't do it. I've been influenced by the world's understanding, the world's definition. God, I have chosen to just kind of retreat in my own understanding, my own self. But I want your love to flow in me and through me and to work through me. So that's my challenge for you guys. Can I pray for you guys? Please. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. God, you've given everyone here, you've given them gifts, you've given them talents, you've given them abilities, God. You've not only given them those gifts, you have a call on their life. Father, I pray 
that we would, as a people, we would step into the call that you have for us. We would walk in that calling. We would be open. God, uh, make our hearts soft to the movement of your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to hear from you and be led and guided and directed by you. God, I thank you again for everyone here. Amen.